got a great sound to play in Angus. Uh, uh, Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. <laughs> We're on there. Can I swear? Welcome to Crunch and Roll. My name is John Daniel Fox, known to some as Foxy. Did some work for the BBC and uh, the best bit was doing some commercial breakfast shows. Now, today's guest is somebody that I know well and worked with many years ago. Darren Daly is his name. and uh, Maybe it's the fact that we're really comfortable in each other's company that uh, led us to be a bit more, well brutally honest about what we think of certain people that we've worked for in the past in this episode. So producer Simon has been busy with the beat button and maybe one day, one day there'll be a director's cut of this one where we laugh in the face of libel laws and sticking all the bits that we had to cut out. What's left though is a fascinating and funny journey through Darren's long and varied career. He reads out a selection of amazing rejection letters, tells us about the time that he got the blame for a naked Aussie wrecking the news, and how the great Phil Easton throwing him in at the deep end helped him achieve the career he ended up having. Before we start, just a quick reminder that if you enjoy the podcast that we do, you are a regular, uh, we'd be grateful if you could support us on Ko-fi. So just head to ko-fi.com slash crunch and roll. Thank you to everybody that supported us so far, uh, including Adam Lawrence and Tony Sweeney. Top man. Okay, there's strong language. You'd know that by now. Also, in this one, a sprinkling of adult content. That's Darren. Let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Darren, how are you? Jock, say, jock, jock. <laughs> there's a good start. Foxy! <laughs> <laughs> Joxy! <laughs> why, why, why change the habit of a lifetime, mate? <laughs> Fuck it up from the start. <laughs> Do you know? Um, we, before we uh, we hit record, we, we were just talking about my wife Leanne, who's about to go to netball. Um, we've we're now into series three of Crunch and Roll, and I'm going to be deadly honest. My wife Leanne hasn't really been that interested in many people that I've had on until I told her that I was chatting to you, Darren, because she absolutely loved you. And I loved her as well. <laughs> how the hell, how the hell did you end up with her? <laughs> well, I think it's because, I think she'd openly admit it's because I paid, I got paid quite a bit of money. See, that's, that's, that's the sole reason really. <laughs> and now I don't get paid as much money. I don't, I don't think she is as oh, I was going to say, yeah, she'll be out the door soon, mate. She <laughs> Possibly, yeah, possibly. Well, Darren, thank you so much for being on Crunch and Roll. Um, I also, I never realised, because you're you're now sat in your home in Taunton, and that's, I didn't realise, that's where you're from. That's home. That's where it all began. I was born here, uh, traipsed around the country with mum and dad, and then came back to Somerset. And then that's when it sort of all started, when I was sort of 16, really, 16, 17. But yeah, Taunton is home, home of cider and lots of other weird stuff. <laughs> how old were you when when you got the the passion for for the wireless looking back i think i was about i was about 15 and we just moved from keswick in the lake district across to hexham in northumberland and i i can't remember how it all happened really we moved in next door to this um couple that were singers uh, we used to have like random house parties and one thing and another and um one night we went round there, had a few drinks, sung a few songs and stuff. And um, uh, Liz, I think she was called, Liz and Julie, that was it, Liz and Julie. They said, uh, oh, quit the singing, you should be a DJ instead. 
And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And it sort of sort of sprung from there. So I sort of started looking into this whole DJ thing, got myself a um a little disco and bought my records from Gojo Records in Hexham and uh, started listening to the radio a lot more. So I probably I was probably about 15. And you, I mean, the same way that I got into it, you you, you started Back in 1988, Darren, I didn't realise you were that old. Yeah, mate, um, I'm I'm a, a whippersnapper, mate. You know, <laughs> but you st- you started a hospital radio, Hexham Hospital Radio. Yeah. So, um, but, but but by the time I sort of got myself into this whole uh, wanting to be a DJ thing, um, I'd heard about hospital radio, and um, my mum worked at the hospital, so she went and did a little bit of recce and around, and found out that they did have a little hospital radio service. Albeit it was just absolute crap. Um, you know, it was it was it was not like, you know, you 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 grow on to dream about. It was just crap. Tape machines, as in cassette tapes. Um, and I think there was one deck in the corner. And I think there was a CD player, and that was pretty much it. And this crappy little microphone. And the radio station used to broadcast on a loop and play on speakers in all the different wards. So yeah, that's kind of where it started. And um I got the the bug for it there. And um eventually I got I got kicked off it, bizarrely enough. <laughs> so weirdly, I'll I'll show you this let. Look at that. You what can see that obviously. That, that's a yeah. letter from the committee of Hexham Hospital Radio. I've got to read this to you because I, I literally stumbled across it yesterday. It says Dear Darren, this is to inform you that your membership of this organisation is now terminated under Clause 11 of our Constitution. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) It was generally agreed by the management committee that because of some of your activities as a member, it would not be in the interest or the best interest of the service for you to remain. We would like to add, and we just can't understand why you went wrong. You got on very well with all our members. They all liked you, yet at no time did you take their feelings into account. It was said by a number of members that you spent a whole lot of time using our equipment to make demo tapes. We will remind you that you are not there to be on an ego trip, that you are there to help the sick. To To have your membership, this is the bit I love, to have your membership terminated from any charity is not a good thing. It means you will never, ever get the chance to broadcast, underlined in red, on any radio station, hospital radio or otherwise, we will remind you that you have the right of appeal. <laughs> oh, what I love about that is they, they were suggesting oh, that the, the, the people who were dying in hospital and because you'd be making demo tapes, they were possibly going to get tips over the edge. <laughs> Mate, I raised loads of money for them. I did a, a non-stop 48-hour broadcast with um, one of the other lads there called Barry Sayer. And um, that was his little jingle that he had made. But yeah, I I had uh, you know, I had a brief spell there, but then I got kicked off. So <laughs> and as as you can see, I never worked on a radio station ever again in the country. So Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, is it true that you, you you've still got all your letters of, of rejection? That you, you keep those in a folder? Yeah, I've got um I've got a folder upstairs in the loft, which is full of radio station letters from all over the country. Um probably one section bigger than the other and that was um radio one and at the time i was like i was just i was literally bombarding them and i've listened to other episodes of the podcast and everybody's done it we've all fired off letters to the pc and one thing and another um and at the time um the the, the controller at radio one was called johnny beerling 
Does that yeah. ring a bell? Yeah, Johnny mm-hmm. Beeling. And I literally, it was literally a letter a week. And they used to respond with stickers and little bits of advice and one thing and another. And then um, after about five or six months, I got this letter back. And it basically said, and I quote, Whilst I pre- Dear Darren, whilst I appreciate your enthusiasm for Radio 1 and the local radio work you do, we just don't have the time to keep replying to your seemingly endless list of requests to the station. We wish you well in your future career. All the best, Johnny Beeling. <laughs> Mate, I, I tell you what, two letters in the space of six I'm months not- telling me to fuck <laughs> off. That was a real kick in the tits, I tell you. I think most most people would have fallen at those hurdles, but you, you, you carried on, Darren. Oh, I suck at it. And um, I, I then started to listen to Metro. I thought, oh, sod Radio 1. I'll listen to Metro, which is my local station up there. And at the time, this was something really new and very different to me because all I was used to was was Radio 1. Um, and then I started to hear uh, Steve Coleman. Do you know Steve Coleman? Yeah, I recognize uh, the name, Steve yeah. Coleman was on Metro for years. Big, big, big name in the Northeast. Uh, but Metro was just like this godlike station to me and and it was run by Giles Squire who um I eventually ended up working for um a few years later but Giles to me was just he he was I always I always sort of split the country in two you had uh Richard Park in the south and Giles Squire in the north and they were they were the two big guns and um Giles just 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 brilliant Every, everything about him his his aura everything about him was just great so um so I listened to Metro writing letters to Giles and then I ended up moving down to Somerset <laughs> so, you, so you moved to, to Taunton and then because you didn't you become an apprentice carpenter yeah so um dad always said to me uh look get yourself a trade uh my first job was as a plumber and I I, I was on one of these YTS schemes where you got paid. I think it was Emma Scott was talking about it the other week. I was listening to it. The YTS scheme, you got paid £27.50 a week. And <laughs> it was it was just shocking. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I remember rocking up at all these houses and fitting radiators and thing, uh, and, and just knowing in the back of my head, all I wanted to do was be on the radio. And I just, I just, ugh, my head just wasn't in there. So I left that. But I did actually like carpentry at school. So uh, the local council, um, they applied, they were wanting apprentice carpenters. So I applied for that and um, got the job. So that was good. I enjoyed that. I had a couple of years at um, Somerset College of Arts and Technology to get my city, city and guilds, uh, which was a bit weird, a bit further down the line because I was on the radio in the evening and then going to college in the morning. So that was all a bit weird. Amazing. So I am a qualified tradesman, a tradesman, as they say. Shit one, but... <laughs> <laughs> I remember my for the first door I hung. It took me like a day to, re, to 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 hang it, and the bloke I was working with came over and took it off and replaced it because it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors. No, now, not at all. Not at all. So um, you're back in Taunton. You then join Taunton Hospital Radio. Um, let's get on to. I mean, I, I know you want to get excited about the cart machines. There, oh, oh, mate. <laughs> Uh, do you know, generally, because we obviously, and we'll get onto it in a bit, we worked together at 210 and it was, it was just a joy to work with you. But I never, You're I never the only knew person that, that's ever said that. <laughs> no, uh, you, I th- we thought you were great, but um, I never knew that you were a bit of an anorak. Yeah, I'm, I mean, look, I think anybody, particularly in our era, I think we're all anoraks to a certain degree and we all get excited over 
uh, cart machines and pictures <laughs> of desks and, you know, who's on what station and one thing and another. I mean, there was a time, there was a time uh, where I could drive from one end of the country to the other, switch on the radio station, and I would know a presenter that on each of the stations that I was at. So just for a laugh, I remember doing a, a trip up once with a mate of mine and I said, oh, we're in Birmingham. Let's give Hollins a call. Hollins, give us a mention on the radio. And then you get a bit further up north and you phone up somebody else and you phone somebody else. And uh, so, yeah, Anorak, definitely. And going back to the old cart machines, um, I was so used to crap at Hexham Hospital Radio when I got into this, this uh, porter cabin thing at Musgrove Park Hospital and there was like a proper desk and there was two studios facing each other. And two cart machines in each studio with carts up on the on the right and i was like oh my god this is like fuck i've made it <laughs> it's like this is a radio station <laughs> all right so let, let's move on to to your professional career then because um well t- talk to me about orchard fm so i've got a lot of love for orchard because that's where obviously it all started for me and i think anybody who starts that whatever station anybody starts their career at they've got a real passion for and orchard was very um, it was very different to any radio station that I've ever worked at because down in Somerset, it's things are a lot more laid back. We don't have that pace of life that say that happens in the Northeast or the Northwest or whatever. You know, you never had a conglomerate of radio stations in one area. You just had sort of Orchard FM. And um, I found out that the station was going to launch. And um, so I went back to my roots and started bombarding them with letters. And eventually, you know, I started to get get through to them uh november 1989 it launched so i was sat there in the car listening to the launch broadcast and one thing or another and the next day i went up there introduced myself one thing led to another a couple of weeks later i got in through the door and started making tea cleaning cups writing do you remember prs sheets did you ever do the yeah. prs sheets thing yeah, yeah yeah writing out the prs sheets and the hours and hours i used to sit in 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 the studio with different presenters just writing out their prs uh, was just, you know, um, but it was like, I, I saw it as part of my apprenticeship in radio. Yeah. So I did all that usual stuff really. Um, and then eventually started to learn how to edit a few little bits, uh, record Vox Bops. Do you remember Ewers? The real Yeah. It was like, it was like, like a ton weight. Yeah. And it was like a small reel to reel. And, and that's what they used to do with the interviews on. So um, I learned how to use the ewers and um, then I started editing with sort of core inch and one thing and another. Um, and then I ended up, uh, eventually ended up doing this rover reporter stuff. So I would go out at weekends and do little interviews at sort of fates or the opening of a crisp packet or something down the road. <laughs> and obviously in Somerset, you didn't have all that. As I mentioned earlier, there wasn't a lot going on. It was just, it was, it was very laid back, mm. but it was so incredibly popular. Weirdly, it was it was just you know it, it it was it was just really popular because nobody down here had had anything like it before. Um, so I picked up this Roman reporter Darren Daly title that was given to me by uh, Phil Easton. Actually, you're Phil Easton. Uh, Phil Easton is my absolute radio god because um, he he knew everybody. I mean, everybody. He was a legend in his own back garden uh, in Liverpool. And of course, at this time, I didn't know what legendary status Phil had because I was down in Somerset. I knew that he used to drive back to Liverpool every weekend to do a rock show, but I didn't realise the 
the, the, the stature. And gradually as you got to know him, it, his list of friends then became more apparent. You know, David Coverdale, Phil Collins, Christa Berg, all these names. And I'm like, what, well, you know them? You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, like makes the mind because he was one of the presenters that actually introduced them when they first launched, you know? So Phil was um, my radio god and he, he gave me my first break on Boxing Day, um, 1990, I think it was. And I remember this because obviously you sort of remember these moments. Mm-hmm. So I sat doing his PRS and it was about 20 past five, 25 past five. And he started this link and it said, oh, so it's Orchard FM, Lardida, Boxing Day. And I'm here with uh, Rover reporter Darren Daly. And I, I looked out and I thought, where's he going with this and one day he'd like to be a dj on the radio so i'm gonna let him take over and he just got up and walked out just no and just yeah and it's just like i was like oh what so and he just he said, there you go off you go by this time i knew how the desk worked and all the rest of it yeah yeah he just walked out the studio and that, that was phil all over he was just you know he yeah go on do it so i jumped in the seat and yeah afternoon happy boxing day bosh played play the song and then I did I did half an hour, I think it was, yeah, half an hour, 35 minutes. And he came back in and said, oh, time's up. Yeah, there you go. That was Darren. Uh, look out for him coming soon. And, That's amazing. And I know. It was At the time I was, I suppose I'd just turned 18 or something. So, um, which, you know, compared to some of the guests you've had is, is quite old because, you know, the likes of Rick Horton starting at 16 and Neil Bentley starting at 16 and stuff. Uh, but that was just, oh, that was an amazing buzz. And then um, from there on, I started to get the odd sort of cover shifts and one thing and another through the course of the year and did a lot more Rover Reporter stuff. And I featured a bit more on air. And then um, I got off with the late show in, I think it was November, 1991. I think it was, we were at this, um, we were at an Orchard FM. I think it was a second birthday or something. It was a fancy dress party. Uh, the fancy dress theme was because they they really knew how to party. The, the orchard parties were brilliant. The theme on that night was wear what you were wearing when the Titanic went down. So I was I was in a pair of pajamas. <laughs> Phil was in he was dressed as his punk rocker with all his hair and earrings and stuff. And at about half past ten that night, he pulled me over and said, "Darren, need a word. Now you want to be a DJ on the radio, don't you? Yes, Phil. Well, how would you fancy doing your own late show?" And I'm like, "Really." Yeah, well, there's one coming out and I'd like you to do it. And yeah, that moment that you get told you got your first show, it's Amazing. just like, fuck. That was how it all started on The Late Show. But I've got to mention the the, the orchard parties. And, and the first the first birthday is the one that really stood out for me because, again, I sort of got myself involved with this, this whole new environment and these great people that worked in the building and, you know, the sales team, the news team, um, everybody, it was just a really, it was, it was just a really good family sort of environment. And we had this first, uh, first birthday party out in this random pub in the middle of nowhere. And Phil, Phil decides to invite his, uh, one of his mates. Um, one of his best mates is Ian Gillen, who is from Deep Purple. Right. And, you know, that uh, 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 an absolute rock star legend in his own back garden. And I didn't know much about Deep Purple or Ian Gillen at the time, as time grew on, you look back and think, my God, he actually, that's fucking, that's proper superstardom stuff. Yeah. And one of the highlights of the night was um, 
uh, Ian Gillen starts to show us and talk about stuff that they did before Deep Purple went on stage. And there was this trick that they used to do. You know that um, nerves you get before doing a gig? You're, you're sat yeah. there, you're waiting, and the adrenaline's going, and you think, you know. Um, so what they used to do is they used to get uh, two stalls about 10 metres apart, and then they would pull their trousers down around their ankles get a newspaper, shove the newspaper up their arse, set fire to it and see how many times they could run around these two chairs before it burnt their arse. <laughs> so he did this in this pub. And um, me and the then evening show presenter, a chap called Dave Mason, whenever we went out anywhere to a party afterwards, we used to do that trick. And it was like a little bit of a... <laughs> it was like a little bit of a... Um, yeah. What's, what's, what's your record then, Daz? I think I got about two laps, but Dave's mate, Chunk, I always remember Dave's, Dave's mate Chunk was really hairy, really hairy. And we did it once and gave it to him and he burnt all his ass. <laughs> but apparently before you go on stage in front of 60,000 people, that sort of makes you feel relaxed. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. Um, all right. So tell me, so, because something happens, doesn't it, in 1992? Yeah. So 1992, um, I'd been on air doing a late show for, I don't know, three, four months. And it was all a bit weird because I think I was 18, nearly 19 or something. And I was actually going to college at the time, serving my apprenticeship as a carpenter. And one of the conditions that uh, the managing director, David Rogers, um, said to me was, look, you can, we'll give you this job, but we really want you to stay on and be, you know, get your trade as well. Um, so they really encouraged, they were really encouraging so I was on the late show 10 till 2, and then I was at college doing my apprenticeship um, as a carpenter the next, you know, through through the week. So that was a little bit weird for the guys at college because they're, you know, got, this is going back to 19, well, let's say 1992 or whatever it was. I then got told that the late show was then going to be networked. Mm -hmm. So it was good. The network was going to come from Devon Air. And they were going to start this little local network. So I knew that I had to get a gig. So I started pinging out demo tapes all over the place. Phil, being Phil, gave me loads in it because he just knew so many people. So he gave me loads of names of people to get in touch with. I sent the demo tapes out and Phil would give me a good reference and so on and so forth. Um, and I eventually got the mid-morning show at... Uh, MFM, March of Sound, March of Gold, MFM. And they had just recently rebounded. They're always known as March of Sound, but then they started, they were the, one of the first stations to start that, oh, let's split the frequencies kind of thing. And they had the FM service and the AM service. So I ended up getting the mid-morning show on MFM. So um, that was when I sort of left home and headed up north. And I think I was about 19, I think. So when you were at MFM, what other presenters were on the lineup when you were there? So when I got there, Phil Roberts was on breakfast. Um, Phil then later went on to be the MD, uh, PC at Red Dragon, and then the MD at Key 103. So Phil was on breakfast. Um, chat called Martin McNicholas was on drive time. Evenings was a chat called Andy Parry. Yeah. Um, and late, I can't, uh, late, I can't remember who, what, what lates were uh, at, at that time. Obviously, you know, after being there a short period of time, things started to change. Different presenters came in and one thing and another. But that was the lineup when I got there. Um, and that was a little bit of a, an eye-opener moving up there because I was then introduced to this 
whole new world of a completely different type of radio because I was so used to this sort of, you know, laid back Orchard FM, country bumpkin stuff, talking mm. about what's ons all the time. And then suddenly you get get to an environment where you've got hot rocking jingles, uh, music policy completely changed. You've got all these radio stations around you. It's just, it was like a kid in a sweet shop. Like, my God, mm. Radio City, City FM, Rock FM, Key 103. Just, it was just like, oh, love it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Um, uh, and it was, I suppose it was a, a start of a few learning curves. Uh, one of them being selector, <laughs> which, which I didn't get on with that well, to be honest. Why was that, Darren? <laughs> well, funny you mentioned that, John. But when the same old songs kept coming round and round again every time, every two or three days, I didn't want to play them. So I changed them and kept getting bollocked for it. <laughs> I got a, um, I have got somewhere a written warning from Phil Roberts about that one. Um, yeah. Just to add to my catalogue of written warnings. <laughs> um, you got, got a bedroom wallpapered in all your rejection letters and warnings. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But yeah, it was a good time. I remember crying all the way up the M5 on the way I went, the day I moved up there because it was just like, God, I've left home now. Uh, the big wide world going to this this sort of hotel room. When I, when I got up there, it was a Sunday night and Phil, Phil Easton was on air at Radio City on his Sunday rock show. And I got up there and I phoned him. And I said, oh, Phil, I'm here. I'm here. How are you? How are your feelings? And I just cried my eyes out to him. We're just, just, you'll be fine. You'll be, you, you, you know, um, hang on a sec. I've just got to do a quick link. That's Phil Easton here. Right, 96.7. <laughs> and then he comes back on the phone being, being like all empathetic and everything because uh, one of his young presenters, if you like, had uh, just started this new job. Um, and then, I don't know, it's, it's, it sort of opened up a whole new sort of world. So did you did you enjoy your time at MFM? Yeah, I I had a good time there because I learned um, after about three months I got settled in. Um, I started to learn the art of blagging, which was um, <laughs> which uh, I I seemed to carry on right throughout my career really. And blagging was just was just just great. You phone somebody up and say, "Oh, I'll give you a little mention on the radio, and you'll get free stuff." I'm like, "What?" This is amazing. <laughs> and we'll all remember extracts before it went bust. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, extracts before it was called extracts, it was called something else. And I can't remember. I always remember there was a woman called Karen that used to send out these little reel to reels. And the deal was you play that little interview out and they'll send you a load of stuff to give yeah. away. And of course, like every other presenter on the planet, yeah, I'll play that interview out. Never played it out and just kept all the stuff. <laughs> I had, I, I had some great stuff from there. I've spoken to so many people like yourself who who re remember extracts and the good stuff. I just remember shite, like sun lotion, <laughs> like just boxes of sun lotion. Yeah, and, and but, that, but at that point, by the time it got to extracts, I think it had been milked. I can't remember yeah, what it was right. called before it became extracts. But and here's a really good example. I remember this one day, I used to get this little magazine and the magazine would come through and you... Uh, look down the list and think, yeah, I'll have that. I'll I'll do that. I'll do that. So you'd phone him up and say, right, okay, can I have this, 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 and this? Because obviously you never had emails and stuff back then. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. And then it was like potluck, whether you've got it or not. And I remember putting my name down for Grolsch. Do you remember Grolsch? And they used to have those weird bottles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grolsch launched a slimmer 
a more slimline bottle. It was like a green bottle. It was, but it didn't have that funny top on it. Right. Um, so it was a, a slightly different taste to it as well. So I thought, yeah, I'll have some Grolsch. And Paddy, uh, St. Paddy's Day was coming up. So I thought well, I'll put my name down for some Guinness. So this one afternoon, I'm on air and Mel in reception messages and says, oh, D- Darren, there's a lorry in the car park for you. <laughs> so I rushed out into the reception and this lorry driver's there saying, oh, I've got some uh, some Grosch for you. I said, yeah, do you want to just leave it down there? He said, there's 15 cases of it. And <laughs> Right. OK, don't leave it there. I live 150 yards down the road at number 17. The bloke I live with will be in, knock on the door and live it there. And I had all these cases of Grosch. And then literally two and a half hours later, another brewery wagon turns up. Mel calls Darren as a um, driver in the reception for you. So I came out and I got five cases of Guinness for you. <laughs> so I gave him the same instructions. So I did well on that day. And I just remember drinking Grosch solidly for about four months. Is this going out or is it just in our headphones? The hamster's fine. It was a technical problem. You heard something on there you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. You get to the, to the, to the level of MFM. Do you get your first sponsored car at this point? Yeah, well, this sort of goes down to the, the, the blagging thing had kicked in by then. And um, I started to find my feet a bit and like, make a tiny, weeny little bit of a name for myself in Wrexham. And um, I managed to strike a deal with a local Suzuki garage. And um, the they just launched the Vitara. Right. So they, they were current advertisers anyway. So I got introduced to them by the sales controller. And uh, I ended up getting myself this Vitara. And what they did, they wanted it all branded up. So they put all the sports kit on it. They've got the uh, big chunky wide wheels. They've got the ball bars on it, the step plates, the ball bar at the front. They have my name and the um, station logo written all over it. And the garage, it, it, it looked great. It really did. And um, on the day I went down there, picked it out. They did a couple of sort of Photoshop, press shot type things. And I just, I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll drive it up to work. And where we lived, the, the studios were in um, uh, Guersild, it's called. It's just the most right. vile name for anywhere. Guersild on the Mold Road. And it's on the brow of a hill. And I thought, oh, I'm going to fly up past work. So I flew up past work. And, of course, there's a... Uh, 40 mile of speed limit and I was doing 60 and there was a cop car sat on the other side of the hill and I got nicked for speeding three points on my license on that day <laughs> day one <laughs> so I thought oh I know I'll go and I'll contact the local newspaper this is going to be a good little story for press and the <laughs> boss the program controller was called Paul Mewies and uh, he was really anal about stuff didn't like stuff like that so I made a contact at the newspaper and they said yeah brilliant story Woo! and then Paul Mewies uh, com- just just Pulled it from under my rough feet. You're not doing that. It's negative publicity. And I thought, ah, oh, twat. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, talking about the team, I mean, who? I mean, who's the MD at that time as well? Right. So we had the PC was Paul Muies. So um, now program director um, Phil Roberts was just being brought up through the ranks to be the sort of PC, and the um, the, the, the the managing director was this chap called. Godfrey Williams, who have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't. No. God, absolute. Anybody that's gone through the doors at Marcher, MFN and Marcher, will know exactly what I mean when you mention that. I mean, the bloke, he was an absolute lunatic. He used to walk around smoking a pipe. Ah, bastard. What do you think you're doing? And who are you again? How long have you been here? Hmm, yes. You're not too bad, actually. 
and, and that's what it, it, that's what he was like. He always had this pipe, and he was he was just the most random thing. And, I believe it. And the, the, just a, little, a couple more things that I want to talk about, yeah, um, which which you've shared these stories with me before, but I want you to share them with my my, my listeners to Crunch and Roll. Um, firstly, just I want to talk about the the well shower long show going out. Talk about that. Okay, so you had MFM which was the FM station, obviously, March of Gold. And part of their promise of performance for Ofcom was um, one hour a day. They had to do uh, an hour of Welsh broadcasting. And there was uh, a tech op that... Do you remember when you used to put the reel-to-reels on? And if yeah. you put it on backwards, it would just... It would sound backwards. This <laughs> this tech op went and put this hour-long show on but it was backwards and he sat there in the studio doing his homework for university whilst this program went out the whole hour went out backwards and he had no idea because he couldn't speak welsh <laughs> uh, i absolutely love that story that's absolutely quality and i've got to mention because you were you were friends with greg burns as well weren't you yeah greg and i um greg came to greg started doing stuff at city and then he came across and started working for us. I think Greg eventually ended up doing the evening show to start with. And then <clears throat> he and I got a house together. So we left it, lived together in this huge castle, like mansion, the annex bit of this, this, this castle. It was like a huge mansion. Um, so it was just like, really? We're going to live in this mansion? Um, and I'm sure if you get him on one day, he'll, he'll, he'll sort of uh, talk about it. But, um, Greg was, um, and I didn't know at the time, Greg was a keen singer and he'd done various auditions for various things. And he auditioned to be in Take That. And I didn't know any of this at the time, but he, it was between uh, him and Robbie Williams who got in the band. So he was like, so him and Robbie at the day of the auditions, they decided to uh, stay in touch, you know, we'll keep in touch as you, as you do. So anyway, Take That appear on the scene, la di da. I remember this one Sunday afternoon, the Brits was on TV it all done. I think take that finished it. And the phone rang and I was in the office. I picked up the phone. Uh, I answered it. I said, yeah, hello, MFM. Uh, it's Greg there. No, he's in the studio. Uh, who is it? It's, it's Robbie. Can you tell me that Robbie's called? So I said, yeah, all right, mate. See you in a bit. Bye. Put the phone down. And um, I rushed. I, rushed, I went to the studio. I said, oh, Greg, somebody called Robbie's just called you. Oh, oh is he on the phone? I said, no. What do you mean, no? Well, I, I just said, I'll go and tell you he's called. Do you know who that was? I said, no. He said, it was Robbie Williams. I said, who the hell is Robbie Williams? Because I just I had no idea. I wasn't interested in that sort of stuff. Um, and he properly flipped out at me. But um, um, yeah, I mean, he he sort of, uh, he. Uh, I remember going back to Greg's house, back to Black, I think he lived in Blackburn and me and him went back there one day and um, Robbie rang the home and he was sat on the stairs talking to Robbie for about an hour while I was sat talking to his mum who I'd never met before, which is all a bit weird. <laughs> ultimately mfm had a good time sort of learned uh, you know met a few different people learned a new you know a whole new sort of style of radio really so um, so where do you go from from mfm i got to a point where my relationship with phil roberts was getting a little bit tense so i thought i need to start looking around now um so i spoke to uh paul jordan at rock fm when i chat with him and I spoke to, I, like everybody in the Northeast, I desperately wanted to work at Radio City, but uh, Tony McKenzie would never answer my 
uh, email, my my letters or, or requests to call or whatever. Uh, and I love that station. I've, mate, I've got to say, I love the, uh, the Rick Horton podcast because I've never met Rick, but I, I was a huge, huge fan of Rick's. His show was just, is just rocking on every single level. Um, so uh, I then ended up speaking to at Signal. Oh, now, Darren, oh, you, you've oh. just done something here. Oh, You're the oh. first person to mention that man's name, and oh. he's the one that I hate the most. But carry okay. on. I think, so, in fact, because I've said that, no, no doubt Simon will have probably bleeped out his name, but he is an absolute tit, that man. Can I just concur with what you've just said? In fact, Simon, if you could please delete his name. Um, <laughs> yeah, he will do. Uh, but I, yeah. uh, it's a surprise to me that nobody in two two series and, and a few episodes into series three, nobody as of yet has mentioned that man's name, but he, and I've worked with some really amazing bosses and I've had some amazing people and some and some not some amazing people, but he, the man that you just mentioned, he yeah. is the worst out of yeah, the world. Yeah, I, I agree. I think of all the people that I've ever had the opportunities to work for, we had exactly the same relationship that you had. So... So I concur with you. So, so uh, next you move on to signals. You go to the signal network. Yeah, it was it was quite short lived. Um, I uh, got this. Uh, I'd been sort of looking around. I'd say I saw Paul Jordan at Rock, um, and I went to see Paul Fairburn at Air. I had a little bit of banter with him, um, and then I went over there uh, to have a chat with him. Showed me around the studios and I was fascinated because it was where James Whale used to do his radio show. I was like, wow, this has got to be big time kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I thought Paul um, was Paul great. He's great with his radio stuff. He's very focused with all of his radio. And we sat there and he's literally offering me this job. He's saying, right, okay, I'd like to offer you this evening show. Um, it'll be, I think it was eight till midnight. And it was it was just really weird hours at the weekend. I can't remember what it was, but it just meant I could never get back home to Somerset. So I wasn't 100%, but I thought, okay, this is a challenge. This is new. And he's there literally offering it to me. And the phone rings. His phone rings in his office. He answers it and says, oh, Darren, it's for you. <laughs> so I was like, all right, okay. Hands me the phone. Darren, it's Don't say anything that's me, but just make up some random stuff. I've got the gig for you. Thank you very much. Call me when you get home later. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Bye. And I handed the phone down. Wow. And he he said, he said, that's a bit weird. Never had that before. Who's that? I said, oh, it's just some personal stuff. I let him know that I was here. And so, so yeah. And I, so I ended up taking this job at um, Signal Radio. When was that? That was 90, 93, I think it was. And in 93. So how did you escape Signal? Oh, so. I'm sort of three months in, and at the time I was driving from Wrexham to uh, Stoke-on-Trent. Stoke-on-Trent is just the most weird place. It consists of five towns, five little communities, and it's just no disrespect to anybody that comes from there or lives there or whatever, but I just found it really odd, and I didn't really gel. I was doing the evening show. It was a network, so it went out on um, Signal Cheshire as well in sort of South Manchester, and I just, I just didn't settle basically. Anyway, I was driving into work one, uh, one afternoon. I pulled in to fill up the car of uh, fuel. The phone rings. So answer the phone, Darren, it's Giles Squire. And I was like, 
Oh, really? Uh, I'm just filling up the car. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hello. Thanks for calling. So you get that really sort of nervous yeah. thing going on. He said, how would you like to work on a proper radio station and earn some real money? And I went, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. He said, I might have something for you. Where are you now? I'm in the garage filling up. Can you call me later when you've um, uh, finished? Yeah. All right. Speak to you later. Boosh. And I'm like, all of a sudden, my whole life in that garage somewhere near Chester changed yeah. because Giles Squire, one of my, you know, radio sort of heroes, if you like, had called me because uh, I had been ping- pinging him stuff for ages. And and, and yeah, so um, I gave Giles the call um, and he said to me, right, when can you come and see me? So I said, well, when, do you, when, when are you free? Next week? Yep. So I went up there sat and met Giles Squire and I was like, I was so in awe of him. It was like, I I wanted to ask for his autograph because it's just bizarre. Did you um, actually ask for his autograph? No, no, I want, no, 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 no. I wanted to. I, want, I, I, I really, say, I, I really wanted to. I really wanted to. That's Anorak on a whole new level, isn't it? But So I went up there and he offered me the evening show on TFM, which was uh, a double-headed show called Hits Not Homework. And I did that with a girl called Judy McCourt, who uh, Giles employed... Um, she used to be an air hostess and he was on one of his random trips on an airplane because Giles was, everything about Giles was showbiz. It was, you know, big, it was showbiz. It was, you know, it was happening. And that was, that was what he um, ingrained into all of his presenters. And um, Judy was the air hostess on a flight back from London. And she, Judy was really bubbly and fun and funky and um, she was serving Giles a drink and accidentally spilt the drink all over him. So, of course, they had banter on the plane. He loved it, loved her, thought, this is great. I want her to be on the radio. And that's how she got the job. No. So um, we were then sort of, our little show was sort of manufactured because EMAP had just recently taken over TFM. So uh, we were part of a big rebrand. So, um uh, I came in with Judy. Uh, Chris Farrell came in to do mid mornings. Uh, Nixie, bless him, God rest his soul, came in to do drive time. And breakfast initially, initially was uh, Tom Davis, who was one of the um, one of the other presenters that was already there um, before Mike Toulon joined. So, so yeah, and and and, and TFM, I had, I had a great time up there. Uh, really good time. You um you, you were best friends with Nixie, weren't you? Yeah. So uh, Nixie had uh, he just come over from Atlantic two five two, and I think he'd he'd just split up with his missus at the time, and I think I just split up or I was splitting up with mine. So we had that sort of common domino- denominator sort of thing going on, and obviously, uh, so he would do two till six, and I would do six till ten. So there would be that little handover thing going on, and uh, we just we just we just bonded, and we just went out. We did loads of gigs together. We went everywhere together, and you know we pissed about together. Um, and yeah, it was it was yeah. So Nixie was a great mate, really good friend. I never met Nixie, but I know that, that, that there is a lot of love for him. Oh, Nixie was uh, he was he was unique. He had. Um, he had a, a real style of being able to piss people off, but at the same time, he he was just great on air, absolutely brilliant, you know. And if if he if he liked you, you know, he, he would f- fully embrace you. 
And if he didn't, he would he would have one of his what he would call his famous strops. And he used to have a he used to go in, and if somebody didn't recognise him somewhere, we played on it a little bit. If somebody didn't recognise him, don't you know who I am? I'm I'm Simon Nix. You know, he'd, he'd really lay it on, but just sort of piss takey. And I heard somebody mention Richard Kell's name um, the other day when I was listening to the podcast, and Richard was uh, uh, part of the the team at the time. And uh, he would you know he would vouch for what Nixie was like. Nixie was brilliant, and then. We, we all went our separate ways. Uh, he went and did various other bits. And then what he did in Manchester was just absolutely breathtaking. I, I absolutely loved what he did on breakfast. And um, I pinched so many ideas off him uh, for when I went to breakfast shows. But Nixie, yeah, brilliant bloke. Really good. Any memories from TFM you can yeah, share? Yeah, do you know, one of the, one of the um, memories I have of TFM, and I did dig this one out because I thought you'd like this one. Um, I wake up to a letter from uh, EMI Records. I'm going to show you the letter. There it is there. Okay, and I've kept yeah. this because I'm an anorak and I keep everything. I'll read you this letter. I thought, oh, what the hell is this all about? Dear Mr. Cullum, uh, on this date, a sum of £5,000 was transferred directly into your bank account in error. A letter was sent requesting you repay this money, but as yet seemed to have received no response. Whilst I appreciate the mistake was entirely ours, this was money to which you were not entitled. And once again, I request a full refund. I appreciate your reply at the earliest convenience. So um, I spoke to a colleague who was a journalist and a barrister at the same time, and he advised me what to do. So I wrote a note, and there's the note I sent to her. I copied it and kept it. I'm acknowledging your email. Um, if you have any more problems, contact me. So I put the ball in their court, and I never heard anything. So really? I kept this. I kept this money for um, how much? I, how much? Five, five grand. What? Five grand. Yeah, five grand. Um, after a year, it's legally mine. Apparently, that's what I was told. So uh, ten months goes by, and I think, oh fuck it, I'm going to go and buy a jet ski. So I went and bought a jet ski. Two weeks later, EMI tracked me down with that letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So let's move on to to the next. I mean, there's so much we can talk about H station, Darren. But um, I, I don't yeah, want to take I'm up too much. You now, sorry. <laughs> no, you're not, Darren. I like you know I enjoy your company. So it's just you know it's incredible. And we've never, even though we know each other, we've never like so many of the guests that I know. You know, and I don't know everybody, but rarely do we sit down and talk about our own careers, do we? Have you, no, you know? no, and it's great. And do you know, I was listening to something the other. Day. I was listening to one of one of my best mates. Uh, to this day is Paul Holmes, uh, otherwise known as Cubby, who's one of the producers who I met at Galaxy 101. And um, he was the one that messaged me a few months ago and said, you've got to get listen to Foxy's podcast. It's brilliant. You'll love it. You should get on there. And uh, I managed to sit down and, and start listening to it the other day. And it's, it's been really good. And it's, 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 like, it's like being on This Is Your Life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it is. It is, and um, I, look, you were always on my list to get you on. But no, because, uh, TFM, brilliant. Had a great time. Uh, I've heard so many talk, uh, so so many conversations about the EMAP parties. I went to one. I I don't know if it was the first one. It was it was called the Night of the Stars, and it was the Piccadilly Hotel in Manchester, I think. Right. And um, Paul Carrick was playing, and I got absolutely hammered. And I rushed up on the stage. So I'm a big fan of Paul Carrick when he was playing, and he was singing "Eyes of Eyes So Blue." And I jumped up on the stage and hugged him, and I got thrown out by the doorman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> oh, everyone's got a story about the EMAP. Such quality oh, time. Dear. All right, so let, let's move on to the next station, then, Daz. So in '96, you go to Galaxy 101. Yeah, so it was an opportunity to come back home. Um, uh, Galaxy 101 based in Bristol again, another rebrand, another takeover by Chrysalis. 
and they were looking to sort of revamp stuff. And um, I, I I sent my stuff over to Steve Parkinson, who was just brilliant. Uh, loved Steve, loved him to death. Uh, Simon Dennis was a bit, a bit more reserved, but they gave me the evening show. We started off the evening show in, um, uh, it was uh, St. Paul's St. Paul's Square in Bristol, which is like pretty rough. Um, and it was a bit weird going into there on, on the evening, but we eventually got this whole new building on Bulbin Street in the centre of Bristol. And um, yeah, I, I had a really good time there. Um, evenings, then uh, I, I was there, I think, I, I joined just as JK left. I think JK was doing, I think JK was doing a little bit of drive time at the time and I was coming on after JK. So we had a little bit of a crossover and um, uh, I then eventually moved on to mid-morning. So I had a couple of years doing mid-mornings there, which uh, had some great times out and about doing gigs. Again, a whole new different style of radio and just going back to my mate Cubby, I've got, I've got trying to mention uh, a little couple of cheeky little stories do you remember when the um, Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee videotape yeah. came out? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm on air one, one, um, uh, uh, one morning and uh, Cubby comes rushing into the studio and he says, dude, dude, I've got the video. I said, really? He said, yeah, let's go upstairs to the boardroom and watch it. So uh, this time we had RCS. So I chained up two songs and I thought, oh, that'll, that'll be enough. And we rushed upstairs and we stuck this video on. It's about half past 11 one morning. Stuck this video on and we're, we're there watching this video. And I said, mate, I'm, my song's going to end in a minute. I'm going to have to go. And um, I went to try and get out the door and the fucking door broke. The door had locked. <laughs> so I couldn't get out. <laughs> so me and him are stuck upstairs in the boardroom watching this Pammy and Tommy video and I couldn't get out the door. So I, I, I wrenched it really, really hard. I think it broke the door lock and I ran downstairs and literally got into the studio just as the, I think it was like 10 or 15 seconds left on the song. I love it. All right. So um, the next move, and I didn't realise this, in, in 99 you moved to Birmingham. I didn't know. Yeah. So uh, another rebrand and uh, moved up to, I went up there initially to do breakfast and uh it didn't go too well the first few months it was i was splitting up with a another girlfriend and i think it's true what they say about knowing your area knowing your market and birmingham at the time was such a hardcore dance city with a lot of different uh, uh influences um and of course i rock up from the southwest with my sort of cheesy approach to stuff and it, it didn't really work so it was a little bit of a culture shock had a rough sort of few months and then I eventually came off breakfast uh Dave Clark took over then and I went into mids again um and and that was that was really good I had a really good couple of years ago uh, I tried to learn the art of mixing because the only way to get gigs in Birmingham at the time was to to mix by I couldn't mix a pancake and there's a couple of jobs that I rocked up to that I just completely messed up but uh yeah do you know that, that reminds me I, I, when I was at Viking um which which I fully appreciate to listeners of Crunch and Roll that's a little bit like Uncle Albert saying during the war um <laughs> but when I was at, at Viking and one of the gigs I did was at Liberty's nightclub in Bridlington and I couldn't mix either, Dad. So I got, there's another guy called Paul Foster, who was a, an amazing guy, actually. And he was a great music jock. He went on to do the Pulse Breakfast and stuff. But uh, I got him to pre-mix a CD until somebody in the nightclub <laughs> spotted that I was pretending to mix. And he spat really? at me. I, like, I was so annoyed. He just he, he, he didn't want to hit me. He just spat at me. Well, when I eventually moved on to do Vibe Breakfast, I was doing gigs. 
Um, and because it was a dance station, we had to give the impression we were mixing because I was so crap at mixing. Reese, who I worked with, whenever I came up to do a mix, I'd say, mate, get on the microphone, will you? And he'd be chatting over the microphone. Well, I, <laughs> I botched this mix up. <laughs> but yeah, Birmingham was... Um, uh, it was uh, it was an interesting time because I sort of learned the art of uh, partying, um, and you know I was oblivious to what was going on around me until I discovered. Obviously, I'll be, I'll be very careful with how I and what I say here because of my current job. Although everything of my past has been fully disclosed in the application for that, I'll have you know. It was a, a full on two years, uh, two or three years. I learned how to party. It was a little bit of a learning curve and everything about Galaxy and Birmingham was live, live the life, live for the weekend, which is what I did. And I remember you know, a couple of occasions um, we'd go out on a Friday night and literally I just rock straight up at the studios at sort of quarter to six on air at six o'clock, you know, still hanging from the night previous and whatnot. And, you know, you get to about eight o'clock and I was just absolutely knackered. And um, I was just sat there, feet up on the desk and I just, I just fell asleep. And um, the, I was, cause I was so tired. I just fell asleep. And then one of the heart presenters came running in, Darren, Darren, you're off air. Like, what the fuck's going on? I nearly <laughs> fell off his chair and I'd nodded off. I'd fallen asleep. And one of my big memories from there was I've got to tell you my Andrea core story, nothing to do with Galaxy because obviously she's not a Galaxy artist, but Galaxy Birmingham and Hart were on the same floor. Yeah. And um, uh, have you been in the building before? No, I haven't. No. Okay. So uh, you went up the stairs, you had the Galaxy studio on your left, in front of you had a toilet, and then just down the corridor on the right was the Hart studio. So, um, I needed to go for a quick wee, rushed into the toilet and Andrea Core was sat there mid-flow having a piss and didn't bother to lock the door. And she looked at her and went, oh, hello. And I went, oh, hello. Sorry, I'll come back in a minute. Because <laughs> she was, the calls were being interviewed in the studio next door. She just gone in for a quick slash and just forgot to lock the door. <laughs> well, good, Darren, you must have been, uh, you must have been breathless. Um, oh, man. Jesus Christ. Sorry, mate. You can't turn it off, can you? Uh, <laughs> any other celeb stories from yeah, your time? Yeah, the um, Heather Small from M People, she was making a bit of a comeback. And uh, it was a really last minute thing. Neil Greenslade, the PC, rushed up and said, Oh, I managed to get Heather Small live. ISDN, can you do it in five minutes? Yeah, okay. So it was all a big, big thing. And uh, yeah, Heather Small's on the on the line in Birmingham, blah, 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 on the line. Uh, Heather, how are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. Do you still have your big hair? And there was a gap. What? You know, your big hair, because you have big hair. And then she turned and said, sorry, but I've not come on here to talk about my hair. I don't want this. I've had enough of this. And she turned off, says to a producer, I'm not doing this interview, and got up and walked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, and that was all live. And then um, I got dragged oh. into Neil's office afterwards, and what was that all about? Well, you know, she was known for big hair. So that was my way in. But uh... we're having a party. Oh yeah! So in 2002, you go to the, the, the I'm going to call it the Mighty Red Dragon. Mm, it was, it was, and it was, um, it was a big learning curve. Red Dragon because it gave me a big understanding about the Welsh English divide. Understanding, yeah. you know, really how Welsh people feel about the English, um, and uh, that later down the line came in useful 
Um, but it was brilliant. But the, the, the Welsh people are just so embracing. They're really proud of everything that they do, and they, and that, which, which was why Red Dragon was so successful. And it was a um, a tough start, personal issues to start with. So I was driving from Birmingham to Cardiff and back every day. Uh, there was a lot of personal things going on, which didn't help. So my 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 performance on air wasn't great. Um, that's eventually sorted itself out, and I needed I needed I needed something. So um, I got this. Uh, I got this feature called Dish the Dirt, where people would phone in and dish the dirt on their mates. And there was some story involving a woman whose child had found her vibrator, waved it at her in front of the postman, said, "Mummy, mummy, what's this?" Which caused an absolute uproar. And off the back of that, Anne Summers in Cardiff sent me a box of vibrators, <laughs> which I then gave away as prizes. I don't know how that ever happened, but. Um, I always remember I'd not long been there. I think I, I joined just before Christmas, and so I didn't know anybody. And I, I went to the I went to the Christmas party to be introduced to everybody, and I was sat there, sort of you know the new boy in the corner kind of thing. And like within thirty minutes, this chicken leg landed on my lap that had been thrown from the other side of the room by the sales director. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to love this place. It was like <laughs> one of those moments. So yeah, I had a good good time. Uh, loved it there. Uh, that's where I met. Um, Reese, who I ended up working with at Vibe. Um, and I think one of my, whenever I think of Red Dragon, I always think of a, a particular news bulletin that that went out on air. Do you remember the Madrid, uh, was, the, was it, yeah, Madrid bombings? Right, yeah. Sort of the early 90s. And it was a really big story. And it was headline news for, for two or three days. And this Sunday morning, we're doing our show. And Alec Blackman was the newsreader. He starts this story. Uh, and on a Sunday morning, we used to have the studio door wedged open. So it was just fairly relaxed. And um, Alex starts his story, midday news. And he announces that Al-Qaeda are responsible for this uh, this bombing. And at that, the Comprob guy, um, David Couch, head of production, who's this big, tall Kiwi bloke, just walks in. I mean, literally start bollock naked and just stands there. Uh, in view of Alec and picks up the paper and news reads it and he starts reading this bulletin and then just uh, he just bursts out laughing during this really serious topic Um, and then uh, he tries to start the bulletin again and he can't do it just creases up so I said mate we're going to have to abort this um, (laughs) I I, I got blamed for that did you? it was my fault yeah was it? they wanted to use me as a a scapegoat for that one because um, oh you shouldn't have had the studio door open so the fact that somebody from management can walk in naked, you know, and get away with it, great. There you go. Now let's move on to to the yes. next station because um, in 2004 you moved to Vibe FM to do breakfast. Um, there was two Vibe stations, and I used to always go to my dad's in Cambridge and listen to the one, you know, in in that part of the country. And Vibe was a great brand, wasn't it? It was mm. a great station, and and the one that you were on was was even more interesting because you've already mentioned this, but it was half English, half Welsh. Yeah, it was a great brand and it was it was very different. Um we never we never really had anything to do with the vibe over in the east. So I don't know whether or not it was a case of Scottish Radio Holdings just hiring the brand's name to use. I I don't really know, but we never had um anything um anything to do with them. But uh uh I moved over there to do breakfast and that was all courtesy of Bev, who was the MD at Dragon at the time, who I got on with really, really well. Um, she wanted to help with this rebrand. So we set up this show called Daily on the Loose. 
which was me anchoring. And then Reese, who I'd met at Red Dragon, came on and did this uh, character called Father Reese the sticker vicar and this is one of the ideas that i pinched off nixie because he had irish allen and irish allen was known as the sticker vicar so that's what i did because it worked so well and and basically reese was the stunt boy he was a bit like uh street boy he was like yeah. our version of street boy he was good though and, wasn't he oh, oh reese was brilliant he was he was he was very straight down the line um had a really good sense of humor and he, and he did some really good stuff. We did some really good groundbreaking stuff there. It's stuff you just can't do on the radio these days. I remember once we he went to the top of Glastonbury Tour and we wrapped him. I didn't go up. I was on air. He went up to Glastonbury Tour with a listener and wrapped himself in bubble, bubble wrap and she pushed yeah. him down. <laughs> so um, you, he was doing a little bit of commentary on that as he's rolling down. And then eventually the phone cuts off. And it all goes very quiet. He got knocked out and got um, um, I got taken to hospital with concussion. So that was uh, <laughs> not one of his best days. And there was another one. He did some skateboarding thing where he broke his ankle. So he was he was um, in hospital in Merthyr Tidville for a while there. But we did some really good stuff at uh, at Vibe, and and it was good fun. And we were told uh, the PD was a chap called Trevor James. So Trev was at GWR Swindon. And he felt like the shackles had been removed from him when he came to Vibe because he's, he just basically said to me and Reese, do what you want. He was really good friends with Bam Bam. Um, so he really encouraged what Bam Bam and Street Boy were doing. So he said to me, look, if you're not getting three complaints a week, you're not doing your, your job right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we went out there um, and, and you know, we got into trouble quite a bit. You know, we had a few run-ins with the police because of various things Reese was doing. And what I remember at Trev, uh, was his coffee. So when he made when you made him a coffee, he wanted four teaspoons of coffee, four sugars, a small splash of milk, make it into a paste, and then fill it up. And that was his coffee. I've never seen anything so disgusting in my life. Can I just ask about um vibe? Because I, you, because you nearly went there. I, I did nearly I did nearly go there. Yeah. Mark Story well, was gonna send Tom and I there and then Emat bought it, gonna send us there, and then they realized that you had no money at Vibe FM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the show you did was that was a was a great breakfast show, Darren. Out of all the shows that you've done throughout your career, is that the is that the one that you're most proud of? Yeah, I think because we 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 could just do what we wanted and it was just just go ahead and just do what you want. And and we were encouraged by it. There was one incident that Reese had got in trouble. He'd got, oh, uh, he went and did. They did this random thing in in Wales called bog snorkeling. So we thought, oh, well, let's do our own version of bog snorkeling. And Reese went to the public toilets outside of uh, <laughs> the um, South Wales Police HQ <laughs> and went there with a face mask on and a snorkel and put his head down toilets and flushed the chain. So when he was doing that on air. I then phoned the police and said, look, there's a strange man dressed as a vicar in the toilets, putting his head down the toilets. And of course, the police went over there and got him. Um, he starts to get nicked, doesn't he? And then next thing we know, he comes back and the police have been on the phone to Bev and we got hauled upstairs and one thing and another. But so yeah, it was it was good times. A really good time. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we did that we we, we would never in a million years get away with nowadays. Just, just, just amazing memories. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and 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 the fact that we were encouraged to behave irresponsibly as well. 
was yeah. just um, a godsend. Them's the days, Darren. Them oh, the days. they were the days. <laughs> yes. start, we are starting to sound old now, aren't we? But um, then, um, like you say, EMAP took it over, and I found out about EMAP taking over through an article in The Guardian. And um, again, it's just the way the industry was, wasn't it? Yeah, not nice at all. So so EMAP come in, um, do, you, do you leave immediately? No, I think we uh, there was a there was a spell of about three or four months or something. They sent a woman called Pam down. I can't remember her name. She was great. She uh, they got rid of the MD. Pam came in and she was, was like it, the was it Pam Hargreaves? Pam Hargreaves. Yeah, I love Pam Hargreaves. Yes, yes Pam yeah, Hargreaves. Yeah, yeah I love She's Pam great. Hargreaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Pam came in. She did that. I think that was probably about the time when you were. Um, uh, touted for it wasn't it because we used to chat about this <laughs> yeah there's all these rumors about foxy and tom coming and and i was like i was very blase i never really got hung up on stuff and it was like you know well be, be honest happen. be honest darren you'd never heard of us so you didn't really have that much fear well no no exactly i you know i was aware of things going on but i'd never heard of you <laughs> Who's they? Like showbiz. me not going to vibe meant that tom and i ended up at 210 which yeah. meant that i met you so you yeah know, absolutely. Every, cloud, and look, every absolutely and these things all they all turn around and they have their own, they're, 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 they're there for a reason, aren't they? So you, following Vibe, you, you do, you know, about six months in, into the wilderness and then you do some stuff at Key West, Orchard FM, mm-hmm. um, Real Radio Town FM, and then yeah. then we do meet at, at 210. At 210. At 210. 210, yeah. And, and, and was... gen, genuinely, when, you, when it was announced that you were coming, I was, I was really excited because I'd listened to you on Vibe and I'm... It was a good show, and I was like, "Hang on, they're bringing in a decent drive time guy here." The, the, the one thing that I was, and I, I instantly knew that you were a, a top guy. And then, I, you know, as a mate, I was like, "This this guy's going to be in my life forever because you you were just great fun." The one thing I always remember about you was your desk technique. It was so unique. You, you had this weird thing where you'd be hunched over like um, Michael Crawford in Phantom of the Opera playing the organ. Do you know? It was so strange. I was like, what is he? And he was so rough with the faders, Darren. Um, yeah, we, we've all got techniques, the way we do things and how we sit and, <laughs> and how we do our stuff. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't know. It was just, just the way I did it. Just the way you did it. And how, I, long, were you at, how long were you at 210 for? 210. Um, I was there longer than I probably should have been. Um, what was it? Must have been two years. I had to have been two years. How long were you there? Uh, I think three and a half. Yeah. I think I managed to jump ship before you did. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I enjoyed 210. It was a bit weird doing a five hour shift. That yeah. was that was hard work, um, yeah. and I was always quite rebellious with with music policies and stuff wherever I worked. And then um, I know I always vowed never to work for the GWR group. And then lo and behold, it it appears on my lap, but I didn't have any choice. But I enjoyed it. I had there was a great team there. I loved working there. Um, but the program controller, um, as you know, we all ended up having run-ins with, was just odd. Do you remember how he used to um, he used to scoot around the office on that skateboard, didn't he? Trying to be funny. <laughs> it's like you're not funny, and you've got fucking no clue about how radio works, you know. And I, I remember one Snoop in particular. He and and, and he never understood the um, 
he never understood that if you give a positive to a presenter, you'll get the best out of them. And all mm. he could do was pick on the negatives. Mm. I remember there was one snoop we did, and this was getting close towards the end. And I think at the same time, you and Jules were probably having a few little problems at that point as well anyway. Big problems, he was, yeah. He was ripping, ripping me a shit. And I said, Tim, this is shit. This is no good. And I just got up and walked out and I went in to <laughs> see Joe. And um, I said, Joe, this is this is an absolute joke. Joe's the MD, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she was kind of piggy in the middle, really, wasn't she? Um, she was great. She was really she supportive was of Ryan. Brilliant. She, she was, was really good. Yeah, um, um, but it, it was it, it was uh, it, it was a pleasure to have met you at that no, time. No, it was, and it was great. We had a really good we had, we had a really good uh, uh, it was a good social life. It was a good team bonding. I always remember that balloons in Basingstoke where we, me and Jules did the commentary on these hot air balloons all day, and we were pissed. <laughs> and it was just five hours of me and him taking the piss out of these people <laughs> in these balloons. It was just like this is a serious thing. <laughs> I'd forgotten about balloons over Basingstoke. Amazing. So, All right, so you, you, you do a couple of years at um, two ten, and then and then where, where next? Um, so I, uh, whilst I was at two ten, I forgot to mention actually that um, I picked up this uh, weekend breakfast show gig at Century in Manchester, and that was all courtesy of um, Sarah. Blah, 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 I forgot her name now. She worked at Real Radio in Cardiff where I was freelancing, but she moved up to Manchester and said, do you, do you fancy some freelance stuff? What, do you, what have you got? Weekend breakfast. And it was initially for a few weeks. And I thought, yeah, you know, big step, big station, huge station. So I went up there and did uh, a couple of weeks um, of uh, Saturday and Sunday breakfast. And then that turned into six months. So I was doing five days a week um, at Signal. And then at three in the morning, sorry, yeah, 2.10, five (laughs) five days a week at 2.10. And then at three in the morning on a Saturday, I would get in the car and drive up to Manchester and do um, the breakfast show, booked into a and b did Sunday breakfast, then drive back and then back on air on Monday afternoons. So I did that for six months. So I was knackered and um, I I desperately, desperately would like to have worked there because I love Manchester. And I had a flat up there that I was renting out at the time as well. And I thought, oh, it'd be great. And and I think Dave Shearer eventually became the PD. Um, and I never met Dave. I did. Um, I worked there when he was there, but I never met him. And then they they changed everything around again. So, and I I was just so tired after mm. six months. I just needed a break. And then the GCAP stuff happened. All the all the changes, and I knew that because I was not goody two shoes, um, I wasn't going to last. So I started looking around for jobs and got a. Um, uh, breakfast show and PC at Star Radio in Weston. And that was good. I had a, a really good boss. Sue Brooks was brilliant. Um, the UKRD group were really good. They were really relaxed with how they did stuff. And um, they were very supportive. And um, I remember the uh, PD saying to me, look, it's your station. You play with the toys. You do what you want to do. So I did. You know, I tried out a few new ideas, had uh, some failures, had you know some successes um and i think one of the biggest things for me out of star radio was when the pier burnt down i was on air that day Mm. and there was a knock at the door 20 past six taxi driver the pier's on fire the pier's on fire and the whole my whole attitude was right we drop everything we drop all the music all the ads we've just got to commentate on this and i got a couple of the sales guys to go out to the pier and they did commentary on the pier and one thing and another as it was burning down and that I, I really enjoyed that. I got a lot out of that. I got a lot out of that because that was a style of broadcasting I'd never done. Oh, yeah. 
So you 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 leave there. You, you freelance at Real Radio. You, you you set up your disco business with Rossi, who I know you two are, were, were our best mates, aren't you? And, and Rossi was was great on air as well. Um, and then and then Tone FM in 2012. I, I remember you setting this up. It went on air on February the 13th. Yeah. Oh, you got a good memory. I was trying. I was trying to remember what the date of it was, but yeah, February. Oh, Darren, I've got. I've got it. Ah, right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I, I'd uh, moved on, got this opportunity to apply for the radio license in Taunton, and um, uh, it was a quick rush job because I just assumed that Apple Apple FM would get it because they already had an AM service running, and then two weeks before, I thought, well, if I don't apply. I'll regret it. So I applied and I got this, um, got this license. So I then went from um, learning why music repetition was put in place by Selector and all these other software programs that I just refused to work with all those years before. And then, then I could say the shoe was on the other foot, but I had a great time at Tone FM. Uh, I mean, it was, it was 10, 10, 11 years of my life that, I didn't, I didn't earn a huge amount of money from it. It opened up a load of other doors for me, um, but it just meant I could do what I wanted. It was my, to- it was like my own radio station, yeah. and I learned a lot about community radio. Um, and you know, it's it's it, it's it, it has a, community radio does have a place, particularly the way radio is these days. And if it's done, I ran it a bit like a commercial station. You know, you listen to some of these community stations and they're a bit all over the place, but I just ran mine quite slick. And um, it was, you know, it was quite a, a slick sounding station. And I got a load of my mates in to do loads of stuff for me. So that was good. And it sounded like we were actually quite professional. <laughs> and and look, you, you did some freelancing for the BBC. I know we've got mutual feeling mm-hmm. about that. You set up a newspaper, Tone News. Yeah, and I mean, also- that was... That was that. Yeah, I, I know I'm pushing for time here, mate. Well, no, no, you're not absolutely. Not. No, I wanted to mention the newspaper because you know I, I got to the point where with with the radio station, how can I bring some uh, some money, extra money into a community radio station? Let's set up a newspaper. Let's use all the PR releases that I get, press releases that I get, and all the little bits of community info and put it in print. You know, and people are saying to me, "Oh, print's dead. Print's dead." And this is 2018. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. I'll use a load of my um, current uh, clients. And um, I thought, what I'll do is I'll do three months, monthly newspaper. And if it doesn't pay dividends, then I'll, I'll pack it in. And it lasted for three years. I got 40, 40 issues out of it. And do you know what? One of the, my proudest things in my career is having that newspaper. You know, my mm-hmm. whole background was radio. But one mm-hmm. of the things I'm most proud of was the newspaper. And why is that? Why is that? I don't know. I think probably because it's tangible. You at the end of the month, there was something there. Yeah. Radio was it, radio is in the air. Just radio is radio, mm. and and I found it easier to sell advertising for the newspaper, which was more expensive than the radio station. Right, amazing. Really, really bizarre. But off the back of that, you know, um, I I then um, managed to meet. Um, uh, my one of my current business partners in the um, my my current business, or one of them is uh, uh, it's called the Banner Van, and it's like a little uh, media media ad van flies around. So Paul was the guy that designed my newspaper. Um, we stumbled across this little van that was for sale, and we bought it, and it had a printer and stuff. And then we've ended up 
sort of using this van to sell advertising. And one of the clients um, um, was the police, which is um, how that little curveball ends up, which I'll get. <laughs> so, so can you talk about what you do now? Yes, yes. So I work for the police now, which is very, there's an air, air of hypocrisy about that. Um, I'm a PCSO, so Are you I... really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a town centre PCSO. And um, I, do you know what? I love it. I wish I, I wish I'd done it years ago. Knowing what I know now, yeah, I wish that I'd done it years ago because I would be in the police now, without a doubt. I am going to apply for the police um, in in December, and uh, if all that goes according to plan, I could be in the police as a copper by summer next year, two thousand twenty-four. The reason why um, I, I press you on what you do now, and I, I don't know if you know this, but that's that's what I do now. You are joking. I'm not a PCSO. I, I, I work for the police now. That's what I do. Are you serious? I work for West Mercia Police. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why when I was texting you, I was going, what are you uh, doing? You were just completely dodging the, the answer. Really? So what do you do in the police then? Corporate communications. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm... Oh, mate, we, so we've got to have a proper catch-up off the back of this. Yeah, this. I know. And, and the, the, the strange thing is, is um, since I did my last show, and I... I hate saying this because I think that some people might think I'm just saying it, but I, I genuinely have not missed radio at all. No, I haven't either. And I, I wish that I had joined the police. Like you, what you just said, I yeah. wish I'd done it when I was younger and and, and perhaps been a police officer because I, I, I love working for the police. Well, I, do you know what? I, I stumbled across this by accident because we did a lot of work for the police with the banner van and that meant spending a lot of time uh, in fact, you, you, you're going to have to hire the banner van, mate, up and uh, <laughs> was, the sales pitch. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you. I was just thinking then, you, you, towards the end of your, your radio career, you know, with the Tone FM, the Tone newspaper, the banner van, the silent disco, the voice in the children's book. I mean, you have become Arthur Daly. That's what <laughs> yeah, master of none, though. Uh, yeah, I, I just wish that I'd done it earlier. And uh, I, I, I love it. I love that. Um, day-to-day, face-to-face um, communication with people in town um, because that's what I do. It's, it's so much transferable skills. I think I heard uh, Neil Bentley talking about transferable skills. Uh, and yes, radio's got so many, even though you may not think about it. But yeah, this, is just, this is just your corporate comms. How funny. <laughs> I know, yeah. And, I love um, it. Darren, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much no, for being no, on mate. Crunch and Roll. Not not a problem, mate. I love I love what you do. I'm a huge fan of podcasting, and uh, I just listening to some of the stuff you've done has, has just been brilliant, mate. And it's been good to catch up. It's a good excuse to catch up and have an online beer with you. Yeah, absolutely, Darren. You are a legend in my eyes. Um, thank you very much. Um, we already know that you've done a bit of voiceover, voice voice in the children's book, but. Would you please do yeah. me the privilege of? I mean, I can see this is typical Darren Daly. He's searching for it as we're speaking. Can you? It's just like I the old S and P scripts. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, do you know what the weird thing is? I did more prep for this tonight than I did on any of my radio shows. <laughs> right, you ready? I, I, I'm not much of a voiceover to be honest, but I'll give it a go. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Darren Daly. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 Media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Borzowski. How was that? <laughs>